0: Well, please remain standing and turn with me, if you will, into uh, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 21. Uh, We worked our way through verse 4 last week. I'm going to do the rest of chapter 21 today, verses 5 through 38. But we're going to read little portions uh, along the way. So I'm just going to start with verses 5 through 7. If you're using one of the church Bibles, uh, you'll find that on page 880. Uh, This is a well-known, famous passage called the Olivet Discourse. And some of you are very uh, glad that I'm doing it in one sermon. And some of you are wishing I'd do it in none. And some of you are wondering why we're not going to spend the next six months here. So I'm glad I could offend all of you. Um, We're going to look, like I said, first at verses 5 through 7. Uh, Just just the first three verses, and then we'll work our way through. And I hope by the end, uh, my reasons will make sense. Uh, Beloved saints, the grass withers, uh, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. As Jesus will tell us at the end of this passage, heaven and earth will pass away, but not one of his words will. So let us give our attention to the reading of it. And while some were speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, he, that is Jesus, said, As for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And they asked him, Teacher, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? And that ends the reading of God's word at this point, uh, this morning. Let us ask His blessing on our time and His word. Lord Jesus, you know the darkness of our minds and our hearts, and you know our fears, you know our doubts. And so we ask that you would flood that darkness with the light of your grace and your peace, that you would open our minds to your truth, and in the midst of that, you would grant us hope and faith. Give us understanding. Allow us to receive through your word you. And we ask that your love would shine through the pages of your scripture. That your spirit would be with us as we read and as we hear. And that he would grant us delight in all that we encounter in your word we pray. Amen. You may be seated. passage is about the end times in fact it is one of the best known passages on the subject and uh, you may have noticed when it comes to the end times that some people cry and that's okay but you might have noticed that people tend to go to one of two extremes right Uh, They either light up about the subject and go on and on, they pull charts out of pockets that you didn't know they had, backpacks, interpretations come out, they pull out newspapers and all the latest little events are scrutinized uh, through their lens, or afraid of looking like those people, uh, some... ...or afraid of looking ignorant, some just prefer not to talk about it at all... ...and they politely tell you that it's not that important... ...that they are interested in more practical things. But as we're going to see today... ...the end times are extremely practical. Uh, They're unavoidable. God's word talks about them, so we should. And and what we're going to see is that your understanding of the end times... ...shape your expectations... And your expectations will determine how you respond to what is going on around you. You understand of the end times will shape your expectations and your expectations will determine how you respond to what is going on around you. Now, it's one thing to say that we should talk about the end times. It's something else altogether to ask, how should we talk about them? Because when it comes to them, what do we want? (laughs) We want specifics. Who, when, how, where, what, right? But the Bible is super short on those, super vague. The Bible is far more interested in teaching us what it means and how to run A long race with perseverance and endurance. And that's certainly what we're going to find in our passage today. How to set your expectations well so that you can run a long race with endurance. Because the Christian life, as we await the last day, is not a sprint. It is a long distance marathon. And so we need to prepare. Um, In our passage, Jesus addresses two events... Uh, The first is the fall of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple, which uh, had not yet happened when he spoke, but it took place uh, a few years later in 70 AD. And then the other day that he addresses is the last day when Jesus will return to judge the world. And as we look at those two events, we're going to see that Jesus intentionally draws parallels between the two to help us learn what to watch for and how to live as we await. More importantly, he's going to tell us what to expect until he returns and and what uh, wise faith looks like in response. And so... uh, If I can sum up all of what Jesus says in this uh, discourse, this chapter, it would be something like this. The last days are known for chaos and persecution. So Jesus calls you to wisdom, which means patiently waiting for his return. The last days are known for chaos and persecution. And so Jesus calls you to wisdom which is shown in patiently waiting for him. What I want to do uh, in the time that remains this morning is unpack what that means from our chapter uh, this morning. Now, to understand what happens at the beginning of our passage, we need to remember where we are in our study of Luke, what we've been seeing in the last few chapters. Uh, Jesus has come into Jerusalem to great fanfare, and yet as he comes into Jerusalem, he goes to the temple and he begins teaching, and as he does, he's proverbially poking the eyes of the religious leaders in Jerusalem, and as he interacts with them, they get upset, and so they begin to challenge him, they begin to accuse him, and they seek to trap him. And you can see that animosity, that antagonism increasing. And in response, Jesus tells this parable, you remember a couple of chapters ago, about a vineyard, which is Israel, and, and, and how they've mistreated the owner's servants and even put the son of the vineyard owner to death, which is anticipating the death of Jesus. And he says... Therefore, the owner of the vineyard will bring about judgment on the tenants, the leaders, and hand their authority over to others. Now obviously things are getting a little tense, a little uncomfortable in Jerusalem. And so it's no surprise that some people do what always people do when things get tense. They try to change the subject. So Jesus is having this battle, these words with the, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the scribes. And a few people look over and say, isn't the temple a beautiful building? It's like they're saying, Jesus, enough with this judgment talk. Can't we just all agree that the temple is one of the most amazing feats of architecture there is? And then Jesus is like that friend of yours who, who can always find a dark cloud inside every silver lining and he just he basically says, yes, it's beautiful, but it'll all come crashing down. No stone left upon another. And they're like, thanks, Eeyore. Even in their attempt to change the subject, he won't let them. And seeing that they're not going to be able to change the subject, they say, okay, tell us about it. What, when will it happen? What sign should we watch for? Uh, in Matthew's account, they, they ask it this way. Tell us when these things will be and what the sign of, the coming, of your coming and the age of the end will be. And you, and you can see how in their minds they're conflating what this, this prophecy of the destruction of the temple and the end of the world because in their minds... If God's house is destroyed, how could the world not end? But really, those are two different questions. Two different events. But Jesus sees a very helpful connection between the two. And so he's going to address both, but in a way that will focus uh, on how we as his people ought to respond. And so regarding the destruction of the temple... He he gives them instructions on how to respond... And signs to watch for... We're going to come back to how to respond... Verses 8 through 19 in a few minutes... Because I want to help see how those connect to his other instructions... But for now let's focus on what he tells them to look for... It's in verses 20 through 24... So drop down with me to 20 through 24... And this is what he says about uh, what to look for... He says, But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies... Then know that its desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let those who are inside the city depart, and let not those who are in the country enter. For these are days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. Alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days. For there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against the peoples. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among the nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. He says that that they're going to see Jerusalem surrounded... And when they do, its desolation has come near. And this, this word desolation harkens back uh, to Daniel chapter 8 verse 13. Uh, in what was called the abomination of desolations. Which was fulfilled two, about 200 years or so before Jesus. Uh, an evil ruler named Antiochus Epiphanes came into Jerusalem uh, did all sorts of evil set up an altar to Zeus and then just to really mock and shame the Jews he took a pig the the most unclean animal to Jews and he sacrificed a pig on the altar in the temple just to mock them and to defile their temple Jesus is saying what's coming is going to be like that And sure enough, in 70 A.D., the Roman Emperor Titus, he marched his army to Jerusalem, and they came in and they destroyed everything. And Jesus told them how they would know that this was about to happen when they saw a foreign enemy surround Jerusalem. And that's all he says. Not which army, not when, just when you see an army surround Jerusalem, it's about to happen. Now, obviously, that's not much warning. (laughs) And that's the point. The point is, when you see this sign, it's about to happen real fast. The Romans aren't going to sit encamped outside of Jerusalem for a few hundred years. And so, why say anything at all if it's going to happen so fast? It's because Jesus is more interested in how they prepare and how they respond. He tells them, don't fight, flee. There's no use in trying to stop the Romans because they have been sent by God. They're messengers of his judgment. This is part of the the judgment that Jesus spoke of in the parable of the vineyard that God himself is bringing judgment on Israel for how they treated the prophets, how they they treated the Son of God. And the leaders will be cast off. The people will be dispersed. But before we despair, we need to see that, that even in this, there is encouragement. First, he says it's not permanent. Jesus says the Jews will be dispersed until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. Further... As they are dispersed, uh, Paul really makes this clear in in Romans, that God would actually use that to send out believing Jews into the world with the message of salvation. And it would be through this persecution that the the gospel would go to the ends of the earth. And many would come to know the, the joy of salvation in Jesus Christ. And that's wonderful news in the face of adversity. This is is the framework for how God works. That he uses judgment to advance his kingdom. He uses suffering to bring life. And and that prepares them for what he's about to say about the end of the world. Which we see starting in verse 25. So let's read 25 through 33. Because he's going to follow that same pattern... That he talks about with preparing for the destruction of Jerusalem. He says, "And there will be signs in the sun and moon and stars and on the earth, distress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken and they will see the son of man coming in a cloud with power and great glory now when these things begin to take place straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near and he told them a parable he says look at the fig tree and all the trees as soon as they come out in leaf you see for yourselves and know that summer is already near so also when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So, so what he's saying is there are parallels between the destruction of the temple and, and the last day. Rather than seeing, though, a foreign army surrounding a little town called Jerusalem. Okay, a big town called Jerusalem. On the last day, the signs will surround the entire earth. They'll be in the sky and across the earth earth and the oceans. And then we will see Jesus, uh, the Son of Man, a title taken uh, from Daniel as well, prophesying the end of the world, uh, uh, coming on the clouds of heaven. Now, of course, I know everyone's asking, what will the signs in the heavens be? What does it mean the signs will be in the sun and the moon and the stars? Jesus doesn't tell us. That's not what he's interested in. The point here is that they will be as unmistakable as seeing your town surrounded by an army. You, you'll know when you see them and that's all he says it's like the trees uh, and when they leaf out when the leaves bud out you know that something's already been going on that you haven't seen that the trees have been aware of that summer is already close that's how it is with the destruction of the temple that's how it is with the end of the world the signs that precede it will be immediate not years off And when we see these, we will know the end has come. But look how he puts it in verse 28: When you see these begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. I think you get the image uh, of these signs beginning, and, and the natural response would be the cower and fear. But God says to his children: Don't cower. Don't be afraid. This is your rescue. This is your redemption. Stand up straight with your heads held high. You know what's going on. And you need not fear. I have come to save you, not to hurt you. And you notice that this is, this is really the only dichotomy with, with the destruction of the temple. With that, it was run, flee, hide. With this, it's stand up straight, stand your ground. The destruction of the temple introduces a period of strife and affliction and dispersion and suffering and persecution. The coming of Jesus will bring that era to an end. Really, the focus of this section is not so much on these acts of judgment or the signs that immediately precede them, but how to live in light of their certainty, in light of their imminence, that they could happen at any time. And so both of these sections have instructions on how to live, and they are and they intentionally mirror each other. So that's why I held off on reading 8 through 19. I want to read those instructions about waiting for the destruction of Jerusalem. And then verses 34 through 38, about waiting for the return of our Lord. And so let's start with verses 8 through 19. He says, See to it that you are not led astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time is at hand. Do not go after them. And when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified, for these things must first take place. But the end will not be at once. And then he said that the nations will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places famine and pestilence. And there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all of this they will lay hands on you and persecute you. Delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. And you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. you will gain your lives. And now drop down with me to verse 38, the final instructions. I'm Sorry, verse 34 through 38. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth, But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place, and to stand before the Son of Man. And every day he was teaching in the temple, but at night he went out and lodged on the Mount of Olives. And early in the morning all the people came to him in the temple to hear him. So Jesus, in light of these judgments, gives... uh, Three instructions, or better yet, we might call them uh, three pieces of wisdom. And um, the first is simply this Don't be surprised by suffering. That's what verses 9 through 12 are all about. Uh, verse 9 through 10, there will be wars and chaos. Verse 11, there will be disasters. And verse 12, there will be persecutions. If you don't expect that, you will be shocked, dismayed, discouraged, and tempted to think that Christianity isn't true. If you expect the world to celebrate your faith and adore you for it, you will think something is wrong. There are many who would tell you that things are just going to get better and better It's a nice thought, I wish it were true, but it's ignoring what Jesus clearly says and it is setting us up for great disappointment and a crisis of faith. And look at verse 13, this will be your opportunity to bear witness. Did you know that the Greek word for bearing witness is the word martyr? That the chief way Christians bear witness to their Lord is by enduring persecution for his name's sake. And Jesus says in verse 14, don't worry about what you're going to say. He will give you the words because he will be with you in the midst of that persecution. And he will give you courage. Courage. And he will even give you the resolve, verse 15, to endure death if that's what's necessary for his sake. And then he has the audacity to say, and not a hair of your head will perish. And you have to think, okay, so I might die, but my hair will be okay? And you wonder, how can you say that, Jesus? Jesus? And the answer is because he does not see death as the final chapter. This is just another way of stating his promise that even if they kill you, he will raise you up to new life in his heavenly kingdom. It is only those who seek to save their lives that lose them and those who are willing to lose their lives for Jesus' sake that find them. That's his first counsel. Don't be surprised by suffering. He says, verse 9, these things must take place. This, this is not proof that God's plans have gone sideways. It's proof that everything is going, going according to plans. Here's the the reality churches grow the most when the world watches God's people endure hardships for his sake. That's the strange thing. When churches are comfortable, they atrophy and die. They abandon the truth. When people bear witness by enduring hardship for their Lord's sake, the world watches and sees that something is going on. The second piece of wisdom is this. Don't be led away by false comforts. And he he has two false comforts in mind. The first he mentions in verse 8 are false Christs. Now this might be those who actually claim to be Messiahs or, or those who claim to be special prophets with direct knowledge from him. But he says that these are essentially false gospels. They will come and they will offer a way of escape. They will claim that there is a way to the finish line without suffering what Jesus has just laid out. False prophets will always offer a kingdom without the cross. And that's a telltale sign of a false prophet. Jesus says, see to it that you are not led astray. The first false... Comfort is through a false gospel. And the second false comfort comes in the form of self-medication. This is in verse 34. He mentions drunkenness, but it could be any other drug, entertainment, pleasure. The temptation is always there to escape from life's hardships by disappearing into the fleeting things uh, of this world. And that temptation is ever-present. Again, Jesus says, watch yourselves. Don't be led away by false comforts. Because true comfort can only be found in one place. And that's what his final piece of wisdom is all about. The final instruction is find your comfort in belonging to Jesus. We see this in verse 36. Stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and stand before the Son of Man. Pray that you will be the one whom judgment will not have the final word but you will on the last day stand before your Lord and hear those words well done my good and faithful servant. How can you endure these hardships while we wait for the coming of Jesus? It's by keeping your eyes on Him. Not being distracted. And what do you see when you keep your eyes on him? You see one who endured suffering for your sake. This language of the destruction of the temple should remind you of something else Jesus said. You remember what he said in John chapter, he said, chapter 2 he said, "Destroy this temple and in 3 days I will raise it from her again." And and people are thinking this temple took 40 years to build. Have you noticed how beautiful the stones No. They they, they talk about how great the temple is. And and John tells us Jesus was talking about his body in whom the fullness of God dwells. And he was talking about his death and his resurrection. Jesus is saying, the very judgment that I've prophesied about this temple and more, I will endure on the cross for your sake. That was where he endured the judgment described in our passage, but he endured it in our place. He endured it so that we wouldn't have to. He endured it so that on the last day when he came in judgment, he would look at us and say, "Judgment has already been poured out on their sake and has been finished. No more judgment remains for them." And that we would see him not as a judge, but as a rescuer and a savior, that we would hold our heads high, not in fear. But we would say, finally, the day has come that I have longed for and waited for. And so Jesus proved for us on the cross and in the resurrection that salvation comes through judgment. That that death doesn't have the final word. That those who place their hope in him do not need to fear the persecutions of man or even death itself because Jesus has conquered death. Jesus lets us know that it's better to be with the one who will judge the world than with the world that will be judged. Better to find eternal comfort with the God of heaven than false comfort and fleeting comfort with false prophets and alcohol. When we talk about the end times, this has to be our focus. Because it's our Lord's focus when He talks about the end times. How fitting is it then that we would conclude our time at the Lord's table? As Jesus first shared this meal with his disciples, he told them, as we're going to see uh, in next week's passage, Lord willing, that he would not partake of it again with them until he did so in heaven. Until then, we are left with this meal to remember what his life was like in this world. And what ours will be like as well. This meal holds out for us death and suffering every week so that we never forget. And reminds us of his admonition that, that if we would come after him. That if we would take up our crosses and surrender our lives for him. That we will not be disappointed. But we will be welcomed into his eternal kingdom in heaven. This meal, then, is a perfect picture of what you should expect as you await his return on the last day. False prophets will come, false messiahs will come, and they will promise you a life of ease and comfort. Don't be led astray. The pleasures of this world will offer to dull your pain, but you must stay awake. And so as you take this bread and this cup to your lips, they speak to you the promise of Jesus. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. And as you come willingly, you confess that your life is His to do with as He will. You confess your confidence that there is nothing that this world can do to you because your eternity is secure in Jesus Christ. And when he comes on that last day, you will stand up straight with your head held high and you will welcome your Savior. And until that day we pray, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. I'd like to ask the elders to come forward that we might receive uh, this gift this morning. And please bow with me in prayer. Merciful Savior, We thank you that you have not left us without knowledge of what the future holds and who holds the future. We ask that you would help us to focus as you have taught us, not on the who, what, when, where, and how, but on what it means to be prepared, to live ready, to be unshakable, and to find our comfort in belonging to you. Even so we pray, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen.